Hey, welcome to episode 11 of the Learning to Preach podcast. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about building a preaching team. And before we get to that, uh, I want to say this is the last initial episode that we're going to record of this podcast. And then what we want to do is be able to build more episodes as we receive some feedback from you, as we hear what's helpful, what's not helpful, what didn't we cover that you want to hear more about, or even as we think of, hey, here's some more content we could add that might be helpful to people. So if you're out there and you're learning to preach and there's things that you'd like to hear us talk more about, feel free to give us some feedback on that and we'll work that into a future episode. Um, building a preaching team is something that will be a great blessing to you if you're a lead preacher and just need to know that you have people that can fill the pulpit. If you're trying to develop other leaders, which you should be, especially if you care about church planting, this is crucial and important to the whole health and strength and life of your church. Uh, this is something that we've done at Quorum Day over the years in all kinds of different ways, but we've always had a team approach to preaching. And so we want to talk a little bit about how you can do that, what we've found effective in that, what are some best practices. And for the guys in the room who have all been at various places in uh, joining on that journey, uh, what's been helpful for them in finding their voice and learning how to preach. Uh, so here's the first thing I want to answer because I get this question a lot. Uh, how many Sundays a year should a pastor preach? What's the sweet spot? Uh, I have an answer for me. Uh, but I think a lot of it depends on your context. So I coach a lot of church planters who are leading a church of 50, 60, 70 people. They're the main primary preaching voice. There's maybe one other person in the church that could reasonably step into the pulpit. If that's your context, you're probably going to have to preach 45 to 50 times a year. Uh, I think even if that's your context, as much as you can, you want to find yourself four to six weeks of relief every year. Whether that's hiring someone to come in from outside, asking a friend or an advisor or a spiritual mentor to come and take your pulpit, or leaning on someone from within your church. I think it's really crucial for every pastor to have a week off every six weeks or a month off in one dedicated chunk where they can get some time to have some rest for their mind, for their soul, uh, and, and for their church. I know preachers who have preached for the first four years of the church 52 times a year. Few of them are healthy. Uh, most of them burn out because it's really hard to carry that kind of weight every single week. So I know there's all kinds of reasons why you can't find that person. It's really hard to find them. You don't know who can fill your pulpit. I'm just saying prayerfully, diligently give yourself to finding some pulpit supply, someone who can step in and preach four to six sermons a year so that you can every other month get a chance to step away and recover. Uh, and by the way, if you're watching this and you, you're, you're on a, a team, part of the way our team tries to serve churches around us, we just say, hey, if you need pulpit supply, let us know at Quorum Deo because we want to develop preachers. So we'll send people and give you a week off. That's one of the fun ways we get to serve churches in our city and in our region. So I do think you need some time off. I will say this. What we've found at Quorum Deo, and when I say we, I mean for my own spiritual health, and as our elders have looked at what team tends to bring the healthiest results in our congregation, it's this. Me, as the lead pastor, preaching 35 to 40 times a year, so somewhere in that range, and that leaves 12 to 17 that end up being another voice. Um, so if you think about that, that's I'm preaching three times a month, sometimes less than that. Uh, and, and then someone else is stepping in and preaching. 
Here's what that allows us to do. Number one, it allows us to develop other voices. And number two, our church really benefits when we bring in a, pre a preacher from the outside every once in a while, a, a seminary professor or someone who's been a mentor to us or someone who has wise things to say from another context. So for me, the sweet spot is 35 to 40 sermons a year. That's, that's where I thrive best, and it's where our church seems to thrive the best. And it allows me then to invest in other leaders. And the way I try to get that space for my soul is to take it in chunks. So generally, I take a lot of time off in the summer. I generally don't preach very much in Advent. And there's one or two other times in the year where I get two or three weeks in a row where I'm not preaching. Um, that's most helpful to me to give me some margin and time and space. Uh, but that might vary for you depending on the kind of leader you are. Um, let me talk about the seasons that I think the primary preaching pastor needs to preach. That would be generally at the beginning of the fall when school year is starting and around Easter time. Those tend to be two high momentum times in the year when having the primary preaching voice sort of driving the pulpit tends to be important for the sake of the momentum of the church. Uh, I don't think that's a hard and fast rule. I just think that tends to be the case. Um, there are other times that it's really easy to give away a sermon. There are probably six or seven Sundays during the year when you absolutely should be developing other leaders because in terms of how the momentum of the year flows, they're, they're not significant to either gain or lose momentum. Meaning as long as you just... As long as someone gets up and says something meaningful from the pulpit that honors Jesus, the church is going to be fine. Now, that's probably true 90% of the time anyway because Jesus builds his church. But I'm just saying there is six or seven Sundays a year. Think about what those are. It's, this, it's the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. It's Memorial Day at the beginning of the summer, 4th of July, Labor Day at the end of the summer. Um, there's a few of those, even the, the week uh, of Thanksgiving, there's a few of those Sundays that just are real easy times to give away the pulpit and your church will give you a lot of freedom because it feels like, hey, we're not looking for a home run. If someone bunts and gets on base, that's a win. We use a lot of baseball analogies around here to talk about preaching. So if someone just gets hit by a pitch and gets on base, we'll take that. It's good. It works. Um, so give away those Sundays as often as you can, even to very young, new preachers in your church, because it's a great chance to give them experience of what it actually feels like in the pulpit. These guys are, are actually skilled and experienced preachers. Some of them preach more, some of them preach less, but here's what I can tell you. I've worked with people who think they want to preach a lot, and what they actually need is to get in the pulpit and feel how hard it is, and then their enthusiasm will be where it needs to be. So that young kid in your church that's fresh out of college or fresh out of seminary, he thinks he wants to preach to the world, here's what you do. Give him Memorial Day weekend, make him preach a sermon to a bunch of people, have him get all the feedback that people have about uh, real honest truth about his sermon. It will humble him and temper him in a good way, in a right way, in an appropriate way. So uh, there, there are ways in which you can use those weeks to give even someone who's real raw an opportunity to preach in a way that will help them grow as a human being, as a disciple, and as a preacher. Um, what we've tried to do, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, for a long time since I've been at Quorum Day, we've said, hey, in the summer times, we're going to preach through the Psalms, and I'm going to give away most of the summer in the pulpit. So we're just going to sort of hand off lots of sermons in the summer. One of us, one person, will usually put together the series. Uh, sometimes Kevin's done that, Justin's done that. Hey, build the series for the summary. It's from this psalm to this psalm. Help us think about how we want to give some cohesion to the series. But then we're just going to go around the room and assign sermons. Uh, sometimes that's our team. Sometimes we use elders in our church to preach those sermons. Sometimes it's 
a leader in our church. We're like, hey, we've never actually had this person preach, but let's take us, let's let's bring them in the room and give them a psalm and let them uh, take take an at bat. So uh, the psalms in the summer for us have been a great way to develop a number of multitude of voices in the pulpit. And I will say again, the feedback I tend to hear at Quorum Deo is people love that. They love being in a church where they feel like, hey. I know who the primary voice is here, and I trust that voice, but I love that there's a lot of voices. I love that they all preach Jesus. I love that they can all communicate the scriptures. I love that when I bring one of my friends, there's not a huge drop-off because, oh, the main preacher's not here, and now it's going to be crummy because we've never heard this person before. There's a sense of trust and community in the pulpit that really gains credibility and I think builds a fun ethos of development into your church. It's been fun for our church to send out church planters and realize, oh, we heard that guy preach his first sermon here. Now he's planting a church. Now he's stepping out as an elder in another church. That's fun to see. Your your congregation celebrates that, and that's a significant win for your city. So uh, whatever the rhythm is for you, find the time in the year when you can hand off opportunities to preach. Uh, The other thing... The other two things we'll talk about as we talk about building... I'm supposed to be listing bullet points here. Aren't they amazing? This bullet point, (laughs) this one, also this one. Um, The two other things we'll say is uh, group study and brainstorming has been very fruitful and group evaluation and feedback. Uh, That's true for me as, as much as for any of these guys. I like having feedback from multiple people who hear a sermon differently and who will pay attention to different things, notice different things, but who share a common conviction of wanting to preach gospel-centered sermons. Um, Someone mentioned this in a previous episode. You do want to be careful who you ask for feedback from. There are some people that their feedback just is not that helpful, either because they're always critical and it's not helpful, or because they're never critical and it's not helpful. There are some people in your church that no matter what sermon you preach, it wasn't John Piper and so it wasn't good. You don't want those people giving you feedback because their bar is extraordinary and not helpful. There are also people who think that anything you said is amazing. You don't want their feedback either because they're not going to help you get better. Uh, you, wanna, you want people who can truly be coaches, who can say, when you made a great play, they'll look at you and say, hey, that was a great play. And when you were in the wrong spot on the court at the wrong time, they'll look at you and go, like, don't ever do that again. You need both. So you want that kind of feedback and evaluation. And we, we like doing that uh, in a team environment. So I'm I'm realizing that as I communicate this on a podcast, I'm doing so in a church that has the luxury of a staff team. There's multiple leaders in the room who can preach. And so not everybody has that luxury. We're thankful to God to have that here. But whether you have a team or whether you just have a a core group of people, I want to encourage you. One of the most important things you can do is to begin to notice who has gift and interest in preaching and begin to develop those people in whatever ways you can toward the capacity to communicate effectively from the pulpit. Um, And sometimes people will want to do that a lot. Sometimes if you can just use a person once a year and they can deliver an effective sermon once a year, that's a great win for you, a great win for them, and a great win for your church. So some people you'll want to use them frequently, some more infrequently. All of that, whenever you let someone else preach, it's generally a win for you, for the church, And for that person, I have a few bad stories to tell, but not many. All right. So, guys, let's chop it up about this. Uh, You guys have all been part of this developmental process. Um, What what have you learned? What do you appreciate? What's been most helpful in your own development and in terms of sort of thinking about this as a team? Mm -hmm. 
I think just being able to lean on each other when it comes to insight into what's this text saying. You know, we're not alone in the study preparing our sermons. We do some of that, but then we bring it to the team. We get to kind of hear what we're thinking, kick it around, and sort of give each other feedback in that way. Um, I also just think getting the reps, I was probably one of those guys that you mentioned, Bob, that thought, oh, I want to be a church planner someday, so I need to learn how to preach and do it often. And I think there was one year between Quormdale context and then a few other partner churches we had, I think I preached six times in a year, and I just felt like that is way too much. Like, there's no way I could do this. Uh, maybe in 10 years and, you know, who knows what God might do, but it just felt like I'm not wired to preach on a regular basis in, in and out. I think I'm just, it helped me discern that maybe that's being a lead guy is not going to be best suited for me and who I am. So, and that's okay. Like I just had to kind of learn that the hard way a little bit. And then it, it helped me to see who am I and what do I bring to the team? And that's okay if it's once, twice, three times a year or something like that. So, yeah. To use another sports analogy, it's been really nice to have a spotter in the pulpit, so to speak. Uh, when you have a preaching team who can uh, work with you on developing your outline, understanding the text, thinking through how the people in your congregation are going to hear that, how you might need to speak to an unbeliever, uh, they're kind of like getting under the weight of preaching with you and kind of helping you um, elevate the, the quality of preaching that you can bring much more effectively than you can do on your own. But then on the backside, when it comes to evaluation, if you just struggled in the pulpit and it was hard, they can encourage you and remind you God's grace is still at work there and it's not the end of the world and um, fruit can still come of it. And likewise, when you, when you do really well in the pulpit, they can help you celebrate your progress as a preacher in a way that um, I think just creates a lot of longevity and a lot of life in your preaching that is just really hard to come by on your own. I think I've just really enjoyed the shared leadership in it or even just the shared weight. More so even from being in the room on a Monday, four weeks out, even if I'm not preaching or even on calendar for the next year, I feel like I'm spiritually like bearing the weight and preparing even though through the week and the weekends in my role, which is connections or mercy, to be able to like not only defend, but even just prepare for like if it's you or you or vice versa. So I just feel more united as a team, I think, for those of you who have a wider team, or even if it's lay guys that are gospel community leaders are connected and feeling the, the oomph or the drive or the, even when you've been, or you've been like down and out spiritually, like you've, you know, you felt it. I think I've, that's helped me see and feel you guys as men and brothers. And just, I just think that has so much, like it has so much traction and it has so much uh, fruit in it of actually just a shared culture of leadership and mm -hmm. moving that forward and writing gospel community questions. Like you were in the room, you know, yeah. and you know where Bob is feeling this and it's not just Bob coming out of his basement or Trevor coming out of his basement. Like I read a few guys on this, this is great. Like, you're in it together, so. Yeah. yeah, let's talk a little bit about what those meetings tend to look like. We, we tend to try to, when, when everything's working ideally, which is not always, we're trying to look at a text three to four weeks ahead of time and just do the exegetical work together. So like when we're going through a book like Titus, we'll say, hey, three weeks from now, here's the passage we're preaching. Let's read it together. Let's think about it together. Let's analyze it. Let's talk about what the questions are. Let's just sort of chop it up in the text for an hour together. So we're sort of doing group exegetical work. That, if we can get far enough ahead, 
the goal of that is if I'm the primary preacher, that's just giving me good fodder to get my mind thinking about what I'm doing three weeks from now. Then what we generally will also do is we'll evaluate the Sunday before. So, hey, let's give feedback on the last sermon that was preached. And then as you guys are preaching, generally we'll say, hey, Ryan, if you're preaching two weeks from now, hey, pass out your outline, show us what you're going to do, and let us speak into it. And so it gives us a chance to sort of test each other's work and say, hey, I see what you're doing here. You might want to have a better story there or clean it up. Or I don't know. I think there's a better way you can say that. So that it's almost like a group editing process where you've, you're coming with an outline or an idea of what you want to say. And you're submitting that to scrutiny and say, guys, here's where I'm going. But how could this be better? Where am I going to, where could I be, be sharper here? And that process generally gives a lot more confidence to the person preaching and just makes it a better sermon than if you were just coming out of your basement saying, well, here's what I've thought of to say. You know, here's what I got. Uh, so it gives you a chance to test it. It's a blessing, but it can also be a curse because the last time this happened, I had to rewrite my sermon probably two or three times because I showed up with an outline, got kind of ripped, came back with another outline. felt like, all right, they're going to love this one. Didn't love it. So then I'm like, well, I got to preach something on Sunday. So it looks like I'm going to be buried in my basement for the next few days trying to write something. But it came out as a better, I mean, it ultimately was a better sermon than that first or second iteration. So. Well, and I think what's, what's beautiful about that is think about any good musician who's put out an album or uh, anyone who, like any writer who's written a good novel, they tell that exact same story. Hey, there's 11 tracks that aren't even on the CD and we had to re-record this one seven times to get it right, right? Or, or the person who's like, man, I wrote 100,000 words so that I could end up with a 50,000 word manuscript. The idea is the cutting floor is the place where some of your best work gets done, but it gets left behind and no one sees it. And I think what keeps us from doing that in preaching is just the pressure of, I got to get it done, I got to get it done, I got to get it done. So having the freedom to say, hey, put this outline before us. Hey, man, that's not a good outline. Go back and do better work. It makes you better. It's harder and there's exhaustion in that process. But it's fun to see how actually that's how really, really fruitful creativity gets brought to the table. And it usually makes everything better. You know, you're usually even more satisfied on the back end of like, man, that was a lot of work. But it feels fulfilling to have done all that work and to be really happy with where we've landed. Another thing I'd add is I think Keller talks about this in his book on preaching. And in his explanation of the book, it's like even for gospel community leaders, small group leaders, uh, you know, leaders of your home, uh, if you're a a woman who's just discipling other women, like you're all communicating the gospel winsomely yes. and effectively and rightly. So we actually need to hone these crafts. So I think the benefit of even building a preaching team is like, I've noticed even just being in the room for the first couple of years before I even preached a sermon, it was like, wow, I'm like studying the Bible differently and thinking about like conversations I'm having with non-Christians or family or in small group differently because I'm thinking with a, a almost that preacher's mind well, yes. or like yeah. subtly like mm-hmm. oh how would I actually hook this differently or yes. you know like and Justin's been good on people like you don't need a hook there we're just having a conversation <laughs> <laughs> or like vice versa things like that has been really helpful of like oh like thinking with a preaching preaching mindset you know yeah yeah, yeah. I think helpful biblical imagery here is John 15 pruning um when you build a preaching team, you're not actually just pruning your sermon to make it more fruitful. You're being pruned as a person and as a preacher and as a disciple. Um, one of the things that makes it difficult to build a preaching team is if you have insecurity because your worth is dependent upon 
how well you can preach. Inviting people into that can feel really scary because now you feel like your identity is attacked. And so there's, there's a, a real sense of invitation through a preaching team uh, to grow in the Lord as much as you are growing in your preaching because uh, it, it's surfacing all kinds of things in you as a person where you need the Lord to meet you, to, to shape you, to renew you in the gospel. Areas of unbelief, areas of doubt, areas of insecurity, uh, where you can see the gospel more clearly and receive it more personally that then grows you as a disciple while also um, developing as a preacher. Yeah. And I will say for me, this is getting to this place, which has been really fun for me, has also been some work for me because I tend to be really solitary in how I like to think and work. And so it actually takes energy for me to get in a room and say, let's do a whiteboard session. It's really fun, but it just takes a different kind of energy. And what provoked me to do it is I have a friend who right out of college uh, did an internship with a really famous pastor. And uh, you know he's a young guy, 23, 24, trying to learn what he can. And he said to this famous pastor, hey, so when do, when do I get to like see how you build a sermon? And this famous pastor looked at him and said, when the blacksmith is working on the anvil, there's not an audience there. And that was his way of saying, you don't get to watch me work, man. I, I work alone. And I, I recognized when he told me that story, I was like, yeah, and that, I'm that same way. Like, that's how I'd probably prefer to do it. It's just like, just leave me alone with my, with my anvil. I'll hammer out the thing and I'll bring it on Sunday and preach it. And so for me, it's taken some growth and some work to say, hey, because I value the development of people around me and the strength and health it brings to my own preaching, I want to invest in a communal approach to preaching, even though it's going to take some sacrifice for me, at least mentally, because it's a different kind of energy. I probably, I'm tired already on Mondays. I'd rather just, you know, be alone in my study. But it's been really fun uh, to build a discipline where, like, I know Monday afternoons, man, it's like we're at the whiteboard and I'm hearing feedback and we're working on things together. And uh, so it's been really, really fun and fruitful for me as well. It's interesting because I think we're highlighting again one of the things we oftentimes say, which is leadership is not a destination. Yeah. It's things that God uses to continue to grow us. And p- preaching in the pulpit is not a destination, destination where you arrive. It's a context for which you have the opportunity to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And I just keep being mindful of, again, the blessing of having team here, but the church planter, the solo pastor, the one who's serving in a rural environment, you might have to be a little bit more creative on building this, but you can build it. Yes. And I just know there's been times even in the history of Quorum Deo where you've, you've gone out of your way to get feedback from lay members of the congregation, yep. giving them an outline of, hey, here's, here's the type of feedback I'm looking for, and giving them some direction, but inviting that. And uh, so it, it can happen even if you are solo. It's just going to look different. Yeah. yeah. I'd also add just real quick, I think aside from the pulpit, there's also other ways to build the team. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Quorum Deo Kids, yeah. our kids ministry, that's a, I mean, having to do that for many years, it forced me to sort of say, hey, what's in the text? How are the kids going to understand this? What are the two things? One thing I just can say and try to make it stick and make it come to light. Like all those things were good practice and rehearsal for ultimately preaching someday. And those don't have to be mutually exclusive, but they definitely helped one another. Um, Since this is our last episode of the initial run of this podcast, I'll tell you my two funniest preaching stories. They don't relate to anything we're talking about right now on building a preaching team other than some of these guys were in the room when they happened and they will join me in laughing at them. Early on in the life of Coram Deo, uh, I was preaching at our second venue, which was a chapel building. I got to the end of my sermon and a guy in the audience stood up 
as I was preparing to close in prayer and said, can I add a few things to what you said? It was a guy that I knew. He was a faithful Christian. I wasn't worried that he was some random person, but I was so caught off guard that I said, sure. And then and immediately I was like, why did I just say sure? And so he, from his spot in the congregation, preached another three or four minute conclusion to the sermon that I had just said, and then sat back down. And it was one of those really awkward moments where I was like, next time that happens, I'm going to have to figure out how I respond when someone stands up and says, can I add a few things to what you just said? That was awkward. I'm glad it doesn't happen frequently. Uh, the second most awkward moment, in, well, I don't know if the second most awkward, but the second most memorable was the week that someone's cell phone rang during my sermon. It, so I, I'm preaching. A cell phone goes off. Obviously, this happens every once in a while. It's not a big deal. You're going to just, the person's going to feel embarrassed, and they're going to turn it off. That's what happens, right? Not in this moment. Actually, this person who was sitting in the second row answered the phone during my sermon. Hello? Yeah, I'm sitting here in church, and I literally, I, I did not know what to do next. And so in the middle of my sermon, I just said, can, can you please take that outside? And so this person, I, I'm preaching in a dark room. I haven't clued into whose phone it is yet. I don't even know how. I'm just sort of responding in the moment. It's a 75-year-old woman who stands up with the person who brought her to church. She's never been to our church before. She's a visitor. Stands up, and they both walk slowly out of the room. And I saw every eye in the room turn and watch them walk out. And I, I just lost the rest of the congregation for the rest of my sermon. Because whatever I said after that, the only thing they were thinking about was the tension of that moment and how awkward that woman is probably feeling and how offended she probably is. And I can't believe Bob just asked her to leave in the middle of a service. And it was terrible. And so I just closed in prayer. And we left it there, and then I made the worship team clean up the mess and lead us in some songs. And uh, it turns out everything was fine, and the, it was someone's grandma, and she was totally not offended. Everything was okay. But it was that moment where my introduction the next week of my sermon was, hey, for all you guys that were here last week, let me tell you how that story ended. Because I knew if I don't resolve this tension in people's minds, everybody is sitting here right now thinking, what happened to that sweet old lady last week who answered her cell phone and got rebuked by the pastor in the middle of a sermon? Um, I pray that none of those things happens to you, but something like that will. And so just be ready for the strange and awkward moments you'll have preaching sermons. Hey, I hope this podcast has been helpful to you in learning how to preach. And as I said, this probably won't be our last episode. It'll be the last episode of this first round. And we'd love to know more about what would be helpful to you as you're continuing to grow in preaching so we can put down some more content for you. Thanks for watching.